The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27 today. And uh, if you have a Bible, meet me there. If you don't have one, uh, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own one, put your name in that. That's our gift to you. And then, as I say every week, you can find us on the Version Live tab. Um, so Acts chapter 27 is where we're going to be. If you're looking ahead in Acts, there's two chapters left. There's Acts 27 and 28. Uh, so we'll be taking a couple weeks to finish these up. We'll probably finish by Easter. Um, Easter's April 20th. And uh, so then we'll go into another another book, and we'll probably do some some kind of small series leading up to some books, and then we'll launch another book. Um, but what's incredible, this is the 51st teaching out of the book of Acts. So uh, next week will be 52 weeks. That's a year. Now, we've been in Acts since January of 2013, and um, we've taken some breaks, but I love going through the book of Acts. Now, one of the things that's easy to forget by this point is that we think the book central, the central character is Paul, the Apostle Paul, because we've spent several weeks, even months, looking at his life, his conversion, and then the experience God takes him on. The book of Acts is about the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the believer. And in Acts chapter 1 is, is probably the summary verse of the entire book. Jesus said, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What I also love about that is that Jesus is getting ready to ascend, but in his great commission in Matthew, he says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. The promise that we have from Jesus is that I will be with you. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost in the upper room, the, the presence of God came to dwell in the life of a believer. The biggest difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament is in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. And so he promises to dwell in the life of a believer, that when we give our life to Christ, he, he then moves in. He becomes resident, and, and we have that guaranteed presence. That's the only promise that we can really stake on from God. I mean, I know we like to say, well, if you give your life to Christ, everything's going to go well. You know, here's the promise we have of Scripture. When we give our life to Christ, the presence of God will be with us, even to the end of the age. He will never leave us or forsake us. God never promised smooth sailing. I mean, we're going to see Paul get on a boat today, and I think it's important to understand this. If, if maybe, you're, maybe you're curious about Christianity, you're, you're you're trying to explore this and understand, is this something I want to submit my life to? Then, then let me help you. It doesn't always go smoothly. Those of us who have been Christians for a while can say amen to that because if we thought that we give our life to Christ and all of a sudden um, the winds and the waves calm and everything is smooth, uh, we quickly experience that that's not the case. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about our testimony. And the truth of it is that a lot of our testimonies have that spot where I gave my life to Christ and everything went great? No. I gave my life to Christ and sometimes it felt like all hell was coming against me. So we are never promised smooth sailing. And I think it's important that we get into this. And, and God's will, it, it, it's really a hot button. It's this big subject and we're, we're going to talk some about God's will today. We won't exhaust it. We could probably spend years just on the subject and scripture of God's will and never get to the bottom of it. And a lot of us think that God's will, God, what is your will for my life? It's kind of what do you want me to do? Who should I marry? 
What job should I take? You know, should I buy this car? Should I do this? And, and a lot of times we, we reduce God's will down to something that basically comes into our periphery instead of God's vision. Now, I will tell you this. You will never be able to tell if you're in the middle of God's will by how easy or difficult life is. I hear people say, and I'm guilty of this too, that life's going good, everything's smooth. I'm like, I've got to be in the middle of God's will because, man, his peace that passes understanding has just got me. And I can't always say that. I also can't always say, I can't say that because things are going well, I must be in God's will. I also can't say because there's so much turmoil around me, I must be in God's will because God calls us to difficult situations. I've learned from my own personal experience that a lot of times when I'm experiencing the difficulty, it's not so much about God's will, but my disobedience. That I'm making life hard on myself. Those of you who have kids see this almost on a daily basis. You're like, okay, child, I'm not the one ruining your life. You're making this more difficult on yourself. And There's a lot of times God's sitting there in heaven like, child... I'm not involved with this. You're creating your own mess. So we can't determine based on how easy or difficult life is whether or not we're in God's will. Here's how we can tell if we're in God's will. If God is getting glory and Jesus is getting clarified. So if God's getting glorified and the gospel's getting clarified, what does that mean? That that God is receiving the praise and the honor for everything in my life, that everything I'm doing, whether word or deed, eating or drinking, whatever that is, it is done to the glory of God to make sure he gets the credit, he gets the fame, and live my life in a worthy to say, God, I want you to receive all the glory and honor and praise, respect, worship that you're due. And on the flip side, the gospel gets clarified. When we live lives that glorify God, we're also clarifying the gospel, which is who Jesus is, what he has done for us, what the cross has done, what the cross has transformed in our life, that it's reconciled all things and how our life is reconciled to then give all glory to God. Does that make sense? So regardless of how easy or difficult your life is, maybe even right now, the way to make sure that you find yourself in the middle of God's will is that you are glorifying God and making Jesus known. Those are the determining factors. And today we're going to see God confirm his will in Paul's life. Now, God's will is not about our pleasure. If we make God's will about our pleasure and our happiness and our comfort, here's what happens. We put ourselves at the center. Jesus is at the center. I had incredible difficulty on my truck several months ago getting the tires balanced. Now, ladies, you just know your car's wobbling, okay? Guys, you know what I'm, you feel my pain on this. Because you take it in, you got, they got to take the tire off, put the weights on it, check it and spin it and then all this stuff. And, and I, I, I don't know if I could do it. I can talk you through how to do it. But they would balance my tires and I would take off down the highway and the wobble's there. When our lives, when we put ourselves at the center of our life, there is no way that any one of us in our best state can be balanced enough to roll smoothly through life. God's will is about Jesus being at the center of our life on the throne, Lord, Savior, King of our life so that the center is perfectly balanced and then he helps the rest of us roll in balance. Does that make sense? Whenever you start feeling your life start to wobble, check yourself. Who's at the center? 
And then, is God getting glory and Jesus getting clarified? Those are some good check tests to see what we got to do. And here's what I'll tell you. When you start doing those things and you decide, okay, I'm at the center or, or God's not getting the glory and I, I, I'm going to, God, I, I want to repent and I want to be in the center of your will, here's what you've got to understand. Something will challenge it. When you decide to do God's will, something will challenge it. Like I said, a lot of times I get in the way. There is an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy the things that God desires for us. He wants to rob God of his glory. He roams around like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is against you. We have this flesh that gets in the way, this, this old creation, the old man that, that still has a craving for the sin nature. We have all of something will come against and challenge you being in the middle of God's will. And again, it could get difficult or it could get easy, but you still can't determine. Remember, the question is, is God getting glory and Jesus being clarified? So today we're going to see God confirm his will in Paul's life. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at Paul and the, his, his journey to Rome. Because in Acts 23, 11, Jesus said to Paul, as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, you're also going to testify about me in Rome. So God, Jesus came to Paul's cell and made that promise. His promise was, I will be with you. And he says, and you're going to testify about me in Rome. Now, I've never had God show up or Jesus personally show up or an angel show up and say, Matt, this is what you're going to do. But if I, if I could hear that, I, I so often think if I could just hear that, then I could be so focused on what God has called me to do. We're going to see Paul hear that. We saw it in 2311, and we're going to see him challenged on the focus on carrying it out. I think it's true that as Christ followers, God could even say it to us face to face. And we deal with such short-term memory issues and faith memory that we still let doubt creep in and cause issues. So we're going to see Paul get on this. And God's will for Paul was to go to Rome. This wasn't the easy way out. As a matter of fact, um, God never promised smooth sailing, but I think just what's true to God that, that he shows his power and his sovereignty even in the difficulties of life. He sends Paul in winter, and in winter is the most dangerous time of year to go. I, there, there is a map because uh, the passage we're looking at, uh, chapter uh, 27, verse 1 through 12, has a lot of detail in it. There's a lot of information, and so I, pulled this, I pr- put this map up here for you, and I've got my trusty laser pointer. <laughs> I forgot it in the first service. I left it in my bag, and I said, does anyone, ha- anyone have a laser pointer? And then I realized I shouldn't have said that. Because some, I, I remember that some guns come with laser pointers, and that's not a good thing in church. I mean, I'd be standing here like this while you're pointing out the, that city over there. Can I put my hands down? Anyway, so Paul starts in Jerusalem. That's where the riot broke out. Remember, they wanted to rip them apart. So then he goes up to Caesarea right here. And so that's where the trials took place. That's where he's with Felix, Festus, and uh, Drusilla, and all the, all the difficult people. And he was there over two years that, that he got to witness to them and share the gospel. Remember, it was difficult in prison, but Paul got to glorify God and clarify Jesus. So you can say that's the middle of God's will. So then we're going to see him get on, and this is where the boat makes the journey. And he goes over. And we're going we're gonna to kind of stop our journey 
right around in here, um, because over here, you see that storm? Don't you wish life was like that? That you could like look at a map of your life and say, hey, in two weeks, there's going to be a storm. Like yesterday was an awesome storm. I love the rain, but like I said, I'm on this quandary because I want construction finished and I don't like delays because delays cost money. So, but don't you wish that life was like that? What's the commercial, the heart, like the guy gets a post-it note, your heart attack will happen tomorrow. Man, here's what I would say. Based on myself, our nature, even if we had that, we still wouldn't pay attention to it. We just have to trust God and sail on. So uh, chapters 27, we'll start in verse 1. Um, when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Luke wrote the book of Acts. So he's with Paul on this journey. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiment. What I think is interesting about Paul here, we've spent time looking at his, his heritage, his education. I mean, he was, he was very highly educated. He was trained under Gamaliel. I mean, it's like Harvard education. When you look at Philippians chapter 3, he starts going into some of his background when he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was born a Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I, was, I could follow it all. I could go on down the line. He was a Roman citizen. He was bilingual. He could speak Jewish, Aramaic, um, Hebrew. I said Jewish. In the first, I'm going to tell myself because I'm having trouble with language this morning. In the first service, I said, because you're going to hear it. It's probably already on Facebook. I said he was a Roman citizen, and he could speak, and I lost the word. And all I could get out was Romish. <laughs> There's Matt's confession. It's Greek. He could speak Greek. He was a citizen of Rome. He was a Pharisee. He could speak Hebrew, Aramaic. And so he was very well educated. But what I think is interesting, in Philippians 3, he said, all of this I count as loss. I count them as rubbish. And the King James says, count them as dung. You know what dung is if you've raised, been raised on a farm. He said, I count it all as dung. So all of this background, his heritage, everything, he said, I consider it loss. My education, my status, it's loss compared to knowing Jesus and making him known. And so as Paul's walking on the ship, you wonder if he's thinking, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm Jewish. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I speak multiple languages. I was educated in the best situation. And now I'm walking on the ship with the only label, prisoner. See, here's the big boy and big girl stuff with faith. Paul had already counted it as loss. So if he'd already accredited to loss, if he'd already written it off as loss, then walking that, that, that gangplank up onto that boat as a prisoner, he said, it's already lost. This is what God has called me to do. That's big stuff because there are things that I still hold on to in my life that if they were taken away would be a hard loss. That's big stuff. And if we can go through trials and things get taken away and go, you know what, take it. I've already counted it as loss. It's already been written off in my life because the only thing that I count as gain is knowing Christ and making Him known. That's big stuff. So he gets on. He's a, he's a prisoner. Um, verse 2. We boarded a ship from um, Adramithium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was, was with us. Aristarchus spent a lot of time with Paul in the prison. He would help care for him. A lot of times we read and we miss these people 
because we see Paul as the central character, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is integral in bringing people around us to help care for us. That's the beauty of community in church. That when you're going through difficult times, God will bring somebody to help care for you. Aristarchus helped take care of Paul. If he needed food, he could get him food. If he needed something, he could help get that. He was that committed. God's will for him was glorifying God by how he could, he could be with Paul. And so Aristarchus was with him. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in his kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. There's another value of community and God's ability to help connect us with people. Those are also, those friends. We just read that verse. Oh, Julius let him go see his friends. This isn't like a pit stop in, in a town that you grew up in and you've got some friends you want to go check in with before you head out. This is the Roman centurion, the guard that, that in his kindness allowed Paul to exit the ship and go let his friends tend to his needs. I'm sure there was money involved with that. I mean, Paul's a, a prisoner. You know, he's got to be able... In prison in the first century was not like today. You only got something if somebody, your friends, could make the trip and get it for you or give it to you. That's the beauty of how the Holy Spirit supplies our needs. When Jesus said, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's how he, he uses people to do that. I love that. Uh, let's see. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. So there are, you're already starting to pick up some tones here. The winds are against us. I'm, I'm not a sailor. Um, I'm not even a, 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 a good first mate. I prefer boats with motors. So whether the wind's against you or for you, you got the motor to push on through. Now, I know we've got some sailors in the church, and they could probably talk to us all the details about the wind, but I think all that's negated when you have a motor and you just run right on through it. But they're sailing. This was not, this first century, remember? Um, and so the winds are already against them. Uh, when we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. The Alexandrian ship, what, what happened is, when you, uh, sailors are tough men. They spend all this time out at sea. They're, they're tough. They're strong men. I mean, their man card is not laminated. It's hard plastic, okay? It's a permanent man card. The sailors who are willing to go out in the wintertime, well, that just takes the manliness up a notch. I've seen Deadliest Catch. I couldn't do it. These men were salty, strong men. An Alexandrian ship, uh, Egypt provided most of the grain to the known world. And Rome was really the central point of the known world in, at this time. And so Egypt supplied the grain to Rome because that's where the greatest demand was. And so the centurion says, hey, this ship is going on to Italy, so I'm going to put the passengers on this ship. And basically, Paul went from prisoner to payload. Because he was just cargo. They were just, these ships just transported cargo for money. And so all Paul was at that point was payload. And so Julius puts him on board this ship as payload. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty riding off of Sinaitis. 
When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmoni. Um, Paul is really wrestling here because he's, he's, trans, he's being transferred, he's being moved, and so now they've got the winds against him. Um, we sailed uh, opposite Salome. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the t- town of Lycia. Much time had been lost sailing and already become dangerous by now. Uh, it was after the fast. The fast, here's the interesting thing about maps and when he says the fast. The Bible is connected with real places, real times, and real people. We don't approach the Bible with shutting off our brain and thinking it was a far, far away place um, and once upon a time. It's real time. We know the fast is about AD 59. The fast happened between October 10th and October 15th. And that's after the fall. We're getting into winter. And he says it's already dangerous. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Paul, even in the middle of God's will, is dealing with doubt and difficulties. What did Jesus say to Paul in 23? As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so also you will testify about me in Rome. That's God's will. That's God's promise. God said, we're going to do this. Now, Paul gets into this, this trip, and it starts getting difficult, and he says, hey, it's dangerous. Guys, this is going to be bad for the boat. It's going to be bad for the cargo and our lives also. What Paul said, I don't think we're going to make it if we push on. Now, here's where the doubt gets a little bit deeper. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. So they kept going. Now, when we find ourselves in God's will, we are going to deal with doubts. We are going to wrestle with these. It is a real emotion. You've probably experienced this way. I've been praying for blank. You can fill in the blank with anything you've been praying for. I've been praying for people in our community to get healed, and it hasn't happened. I've been praying for God to do this. I've been praying for, praying for, praying for, and God hasn't done it yet. And then what happens is we start to doubt that, did God really promise that? Jesus told Paul, you're going to Rome. Paul's in the middle of this. He says, this is dangerous to our lives. Paul's wanting to stop. We will deal with doubt. It happens. James in chapter 1 talks about doubt. It says if we believe and if we, if we doubt and don't believe, we're like a ship tossed in the waves, blown by the wind. If we let doubts drive us, we have nothing to anchor our faith into. And doubts are going to be real. Doubt should not be the norm. It should be the exception. Let me, let me help you with this. Give God the benefit of the doubt. That when we doubt, be honest about it. Because here's the reality. The storms in my life have helped build the faith and the trust in God. I made the joke earlier, four years ago, our first Sunday, it snowed. You want to talk about some doubt. There were many instances ahead of that. Before we even opened our first Sunday, that storms came up that I was like, God, is this really what you've called us to do? There's been challenges over the last year and a half with the facility, and I go through those doubts. God, is this really what you've called us to do? But be honest about the doubt and understand that God is in 
control. Those storms build faith because you know what? He's navigated me through those storms. One of my favorite uh, stories in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to read it to you. This is Jesus with his disciples. I'm going to be Mark 4.35. Um, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. He's talking about the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Have you ever been in that situation? God, do you see what's going on? God, do you care what's happening in my life? Do you care how difficult this is? Do you, do, do you see how I'm being wrong? Do you see the struggle I'm in? And the enemy's like, God's asleep. He doesn't hear you. It's like Elijah when he was trash-talking the prophets of Baal. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you should shout louder. Maybe, maybe he's in the bathroom. They start cutting themselves. They start torturing themselves to try to get their God's attention. We don't have to do that. Who are they talking to? To Jesus. Who is Jesus? The Son of God. He is God in the flesh. Jesus was with God in the beginning when everything was created. Jesus was the Word that spoke it, that held it together. He upholds all things through His right hand. His blood shed on the cross reconciled all things. To think He doesn't care? And so they say, don't you care? Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think Jesus was a little bit put out because he's, he's also human, fully God, fully human. And I'm fully human. And Sunday afternoons, my nap, that's sacred time. When I'm done preaching, it's time to sleep. I want food and somewhere to sleep. Now, if I can wake up on my own accord on Sunday afternoon from that nap, I'm good. If somebody is over me, if anyone in my family is over me going, don't you care what's going on? I'm not going to wake up in the best of moods. I'm just confessing that. I don't think Jesus, I mean, he's like, I'm dreaming, man. I wonder what Jesus dreams about. Anyway, so he's like, so he gets up, he calms the storm. He's like, don't you have faith? He's a little bit put out. And then the disciples said this. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Faith matters. But our doubts are not the determining factor on what God does. It's not as though the, the idea of scales in heaven just is a lot of people get stuck on that. And I don't think it's accurate. We like to think, well, if all the good things I've done in life get put on this side and all the bad things, then my hope is that the good will outweigh the bad. Let me tell you something. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. It is his blood shed on the cross that gives us the redemption and the forgiveness of sin. So if you want to think of scale, all enemy's going to say all of their sin gets put on this side and it's just wading down to the floor. Jesus walks in and is like, my blood covered it. One drop of Jesus' blood throws the scale way off. And then we also think that there's a scale about faith and doubt. If I have enough faith, it's like the kids. Remember you do the, the noise meter? You're like, come on, yell. Whoever yells the loudest is going to be the winner. Have you ever been involved with something like that? Watch Nickelodeon for about five seconds. You'll see some kind of noise meter. 
And we think there's this meter, faith meter in front of God and this dashboard in heaven. He's like, okay, Matt's been praying for this. His faith's almost there. I'm about to move. I'm about to move. Oh, come on, come on. Oh, he went back to doubt. I'm sitting back down. We've got to understand something. Faith is important. We wrestle with doubt, but God's sovereignty is overall. He will get his will accomplished. My doubt does not determine whether or not God moves. If I do that, who's at the center of that will? Me. Because it's dependent on what I do to get God to do something. My job is to submit. The determining factor is not faith and doubts. It's the gospel. You need to understand this. God will put, he will do whatever he has to do to get the gospel out. The most important thing is for God to be glorified and the gospel to be clarified. It's not that God wants you unhappy. It's not that God wants Paul unhappy in this storm. It's that God wants Jesus to be made known. God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness and our character more than our comfort. And he will allow us or let us. The whole debate, whether God allows something to happen or he creates something to happen, that's another topic for another day. But wherever you stand on that, God will let that happen however it comes about so that Jesus can be made known. And and God has a plan for this. So let's go on. I'm getting ready to read the rest of Mark 4 to you. We just changed book series right here. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Crete, I don't know if you ever heard the term Cretan. It's, really, it's a derogatory term, like you're such a Cretan. You know, people from the Isle of Crete, they had a bad reputation. And that's where they winter. And when we wrestle with doubts, when we're facing difficulties and we try to discern what's going on in God's will, you know, if we're glorifying God and clarifying the gospel, then we're doing what we need to be doing regardless of where we find ourselves. God sends the ship to Crete. Here's the beautiful thing. God may not be answering your prayer. He may be using you to answer someone else's prayer. The storm you're in may make Jesus more clear to somebody else. You see, after Paul ended up leaving Crete, he helps plant the church there. Titus gets sent to be the pastor of that church. You can read Paul's letter to him in the New Testament. It's the book of Titus. It's not that God didn't want Paul unhappy. It's that he wanted to save the Cretans. You see, God loves us. He loves the lost. He loves the broken. He loves the hurting. He loves the poor. He loves the marginalized. And he loves every one of us. And we find ourselves in any or all of those categories. Let me encourage you at Stay faithful. I know that a lot of you have very difficult situations going on. And I know a lot of you are in some good and easy times right now. And I celebrate that with you. But let me encourage you, regardless of where you find yourself, make sure that you are doing everything to the glory of God and clarifying Jesus. That He is being made known. Um, Don't let the doubts win. I know that uh, 
I know there's marriages in trouble in our church community. And Jesus, in Mark 4, calmed the storm. And in your marriage or in your relationship, he may stand up and say, peace, quiet. And he heals and restores that relationship. He hasn't promised to do that. He hasn't promised to calm every storm. He's promised his presence. So even if God's will for your life is for that ship to go down, he says, I'm with you. And you can still glorify God and make Jesus known. There's financial difficulties that exist in people in our church community. And whether God steps up and says, peace, be still, and miraculously provides money, or he says, this is going to be more difficult and there's a storm coming, but I'm with you. Let me encourage you to let the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords navigate you through every one of those situations, whether calm seas or the most terrible squall you've ever been in. He is the only one that can see beyond it. He is the only one that has overcome everything the world can throw at him. And with him navigating and him at the center, we can fully surrender and fully submit. And we can have faith that he will see us through. I hear people make this accusation about people who surrender and submit everything to Jesus, that we have unfounded faith. Let me encourage you. Your faith is found in Jesus. Don't have unfounded doubts. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the promise of your presence in our life. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that, that you live in us, that you, we are the temple, that the blood of Jesus bought us and we were bought for a price. And Holy Spirit, when we become a new creation, you move in. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. I don't know where every single person is. I know where a lot of them are. And I pray that above everything else, whether it's calming the storm or you seeing them through it, I pray above everything else that your presence is felt. Lord, I pray that in everything we can glorify you and make Jesus known. Father, if there's anyone in here today that that maybe Jesus is not at the center of their life and and, and, and through this you've gently let them know that maybe some of the storms are to make Jesus known to them. So Father, I pray that you give them the courage today to say, Jesus, I, I need you at the center of my life. I need your blood to cover because it's not the good versus the bad. It's the blood of Christ that covers us. So I ask your blood to cover me sacrifice you made on the cross please cover me with that be the Lord of my life be the center of everything and help me in every situation Father help every one of us in every situation to glorify you and to make Jesus known Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas if you have any questions feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.